All right, well, if you'll turn in your Bibles or in your phones to 2 Samuel, I'll read our sermon text before Jonathan comes up. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 to 29. 2 Samuel 7. This is page 259 if you are using the Bibles here at the church. All right, so 2 Samuel 7, beginning at verses, verse 18, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord God, became their God And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, The God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. God's word. It is fascinating to me to watch the bells, and by the way, thank you bell ringers. It's fascinating for me to watch kids watch the bells. It's a really neat thing. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we're able to feast in the house of Zion, that this is a place where you meet us at the deepest uh, levels of our need. We ask now that you would feed us with the bread of heaven. Uh, Help us, we pray. 
to grow to love Jesus and to serve him more faithfully. Work in our hearts by your spirit. Lord, expose our sins, our need of you, and do it in such a way that we are glad to turn in new faith and repentance toward you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you um, read or heard the story, um, The Little Engine That Could? It's a great kid's story. And it goes this way. If you don't know about it, uh, there was once a train that was filled with um, clowns and other actors and animals and gifts. And it was headed up over the mountain to take all those goodies to children on the other side. But as the train is nearing the base of the mountain to begin its climb, the engine failed. And no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get it to sputter at all, let alone pull this train up over the mountain. Well, all was not lost because uh, soon they saw a silver passenger train headed in their direction and they thought, no problem, we'll stop them and this engine can pull us up over the mountain. Passenger train wasn't having anything to do with it. I only take important passengers. I'm not going to take anybody like you. Animals, clowns, presents, uh-uh. And he sped down the tracks. A little bit later, uh, another big, large engine came chugging along. And they thought, oh, certainly this one. He said, uh-uh, not me either. Uh, I, just full, I just pull heavy freight. I'm not taking the likes of you over the mountain to the kids. What would they do? Well, as the story goes, a little while after that, a little blue engine came chugging along, and they said, would you please help us explain the situation? He said, I don't know if I can. So they hooked him up, and he started out very slowly. And as he went, he said to himself, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And developed more and more momentum, and pretty soon he was chugging all the way up the mountain. And as he started down the other side, he was heard to have said, I thought I could. I thought I could. I thought I could. Now, what got him going and what kept him going? Well, as best we can tell, it was his vision to be able to help the people in the train and the children on the other side of the mountain. And you can get online and find lots of helps, lots of self-help comments on how vision can spur you on if you really give yourself fully to the vision that you dream. But suppose there were a vision that did not depend on frail human effort to be accomplished. Suppose that kind of vision could be the vision for God's people. Well, that is precisely what we saw last week when we looked at God's covenant with David, the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 7. Today we're going to go on and see what happens next because David responds to that vision in a way that is um, helpful 
on the one hand and a little surprising on the other. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to look at those verses Ashlon just read. And what we'll find is that, yeah, our own hearts yearn. We want vision that's going to be compelling and to which we can give ourselves. And David helps us understand that. Walter Brueggemann, who's written a commentary on 2 Samuel, has provided an outline that I have found helpful. And what he says is that in verses 18 down through verse 21, um, the writer talks to us about David's humility. He, he talks about David's deference to the Lord. And then in the next section, verses uh, 21 through, or 22 through 24, um, he calls our attention to David's doxology. He gives praise to the Lord. And then in the last section, uh, and this is a surprising part, verses 25 through 29, he talks to us about David's demand. Well, so what is there here about David's deference? Um, you'll notice, first of all, i got to get these papers in place here. Um, you'll notice that, that chapter, uh, verses 18 and following um, come after the vision that David has received, and it comes at specifically after verse 17. So just look at verse 17 and see the way in which uh, the writer expresses himself here. He says, In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now you remember, David wants to build a house for God. And God comes to him through Nathan the prophet and he says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Uh, but David, I've got one better for you. I will build a house for you. And he uses the word house in terms of a dynasty. And he says, David, I'm going to do great things in your life. And then after you, I'm going to bless your son. And after your son, there's going to be other sons and grandsons. And I'm going to establish an eternal kingdom for you. And we realize that that's fulfilled in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. But this verse 17 raises a kind of an interesting question for us. He says, uh, it, it says, in accordance with all these words and accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. How do words and vision fit together? Well, God's word gives us his vision. They're nearly synonymous. Uh, in Isaiah we read, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way. This is my vision for you. Um, how about uh, Psalm 119? Um, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word gives us 
vision for the future. And uh, then there's one other one uh, that is so striking and such a great summary of the Lord's covenant with David. It's there in Isaiah chapter 9. You know how it goes. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end on the throne of his father David to establish it with righteousness from henceforth and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. God's word through Isaiah the prophet, which summarizes God's covenant with David, gives us a vision for the future. God is building his kingdom. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. And it's a wonderful kingdom. So David responds to the, these words, to this vision, where the Lord is taking him and where the Lord is taking human history, and he prays. And you'll notice the ways in which he describes the Lord. Just look at them there. Uh, first of all, verse 18, and then twice at verse 19, and then again in verse 21. What's he say? He says, he, he's before the Lord, and he says, Who am I? Oh, Lord God. And then verse 19, Oh, Lord God. And then verse 19, Oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. Again, in verse 20. And what's David's relationship to this God who is so great. Well, again, he says, who am I that you've brought me this far in verse 18? But then in verse 19, he says, you have spoken also of your servant's house. And then in verse 20, for you know your servant, O Lord. Uh, David uh, sees God as very great, and he sees himself as very small, by comparison. Similarly, God's kingdom is very great. And David, in contrast to the Lord who's all-knowing, he's ignorant, and so the Lord has to reveal himself to him. There's this play on greatness and smallness in this first section. And uh, one of the fascinating things for me is what you find at the end of, well, it's in the middle of verse 19. What's he say there? He says, this is a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this instruction for mankind, O Lord. God not only start something in the building of his kingdom that's new and significant with David, but David says, this is going to continue for a long time. In other words, God's goodness to his people has only begun. And this is not for just us here in this community. 
This is for the whole world. God's goodness for the whole world has just begun, if you will. Let's just notice the way in which David responds to this. Did you, know, did you look at the verbs in verse 18? It says, first of all, that David went. Well, where had he been? He had been in his own cedar-lined house with Nathan the prophet. He went somewhere. Presumably, he leaves that and he goes to the tent where God's ark is now in residence. He gets up and he goes. Then what comes next? He sat. And then what comes after that? All in verse 18, he spake. Uh, he spoke. All these are these coming down condescension kind of words. Let me say it another way. David is moved physically. He changes location. Uh, he's moved verbally. He speaks. He's moved in his heart. He humbles himself. And he's moved relationally because of the promise of God's word. And the obvious question, what happens to you when you hear the word of God? What's the movement in your life? What happens in terms of your posture? What happens in terms of what you say back to the Lord? David is struck by this great opportunity before him. It reminds me of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. David is living in hope. God has only begun to work in him. And so twice in the Bible we have this sentiment. It's in Isaiah 64 and then it's repeated over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So the first question is, What's the movement of your life in response to the Word of God? The second question is this. Where do you see yourself in relation to the stream of God's promised blessings? Now, we touched on that already. It's back in verse 19. David says, You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this instruction is for mankind. How do you think about your own situation right now? Has the Lord poured out blessings and now he said, well, that's enough. I'm not giving any more to that person. Or is he perhaps thinking to himself, you know, I have been pretty generous to Tom, Dick, Harry. They have just not really stepped to the plate. I'm done with it. 
That's not at all the picture in the Bible. The Lord's blessings are just beginning to flow to you. They're innumerable blessings. And so we're taught to sing, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done, but it will also surprise you what the Lord will do for you. He has not stopped blessing you because Jesus is now at his right hand praying for you. And your older brother, the Lord Jesus, has innumerable blessings for you yet ahead. Well, that's David's That's David's coming down before the Lord. The next section is uh, verses 22 to 24, David's doxology. Now, we might think about the Lord's blessings on our lives, and uh, we might be filled with shame, guilt, silence, some kind of distance. But that's not the case in David. What does he do? Well, God's vision elicits humility for sure, but it also brings forth words of praise. And it continues the contrast between David and God. Please look at verse 22. You are great, O Lord. There is none like you, no God besides you, according to, to all that we have heard with our ears. What's David saying? He's saying, God, you're the only living and true God. You know, we say that Christians believe, uh, are people who are monotheists. They believe in one God. We say more than that. We say that we believe in one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there is none like you, David says here. And then verse 23 there is none like God who would choose Israel exclusively for himself. Do you see it there? Who is like your people, Israel, one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people? whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its God. The idea of being in a stream of blessing flows out of God's electing love. He chooses Israel for himself. It's all of grace so that nobody can boast. chosen to be a blessing. That's what God said to his people back in Exodus chapter, six, uh, chapter 19. He said, you're an elect race, a holy priesthood, a, a chosen nation, people for God's own possession. And then he comes to Abraham in the covenant and he says, Abraham, I'm choosing you so that through you all the families of the earth can be blessed. And then we get to the New Testament and that same language is used for the church. Who are we as the people of God? People in whom the Spirit is at work to bless those around us. 
That is your identity. You are chosen by God to be a blessing to others. So no matter how you may think of yourself this morning, maybe you came in, you know, lower than a snake's belly. No matter how you think about yourself, God says this is your identity. And it comes to us right out of these words of praise. You are a kingdom person. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but has as his present possession eternal life. Um, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in, in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're a kingdom person. That's what God has made you to be, and he's made you to be a kingdom person with a vision that corresponds to this vision that God gave to David. So, we talked about David's deference, uh, David's doxology. Now, just briefly, a word about David's demand. And can you see that this is a little incongruous to think about? David has talked about how high and lifted up God is and how he's really, comparatively speaking, a nobody. He's small. God is great. How can somebody like that demand anything of God? That's the question. But before we get to the answer, let's just make sure that we are agreed that David does demand something of God, right? It's pretty clear. Look at verse 25. Now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and do as you've spoken. Both those verb forms are imperative. They aren't saying, would you take this under advisement? Be a nice idea if you'd think about this, Lord. Uh-uh. He's saying, God, confirm it. God, do it. That's not all. Uh, go down to verse 29. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. May it please you. Another imperative. Do it, Lord. Bless your people. On what basis can David make any of those demands of God? How can little David start telling big God what to do? Well, he tells us. It's right there in verse 27. He tells us why he has courage to pray this way. What's he say? Lord, you've made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build your house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. David can demand of the Lord that he do what David wants him to do because God has said in his word that he will fulfill his word. Now, we want to be quick to say, 
This is not a matter of you going to the Lord with your prayer list and your to-do list and say, Lord, I just want you to know, I want you to get your priorities lined up with mine. That's not the picture at all. It's flipped. We go to the Lord with our prayer list and we say, Lord, would you please help me to get my priorities lined up with yours? That's the basis for David being able to say, Lord, do it. He's saying, you've promised that you will fulfill your word. Now I'm asking you to complete your promise and do it by blessing me, as you've said, and bless your people. So that's a word about David's deference, his doxology, and his demand. And this comes out of this vision which is worth us getting in our minds a vision worth having before us and shaping our priorities by that vision and not the other way around. So how's your praying these days? What are the things for which you're asking the Lord? What we find in David is that he lives about a, a, a thousand years before Christ in a way that's consistent with how Jesus lived his life. You say, how can that be? Jesus, of course, in contrast to David, perfectly models someone who lives by the kingdom vision that God has designed. His life was shaped by it. His death and resurrection were in keeping with it. The disciples come and they say, how are we supposed to pray? And he says, pray this way. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus in his own high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he prays, Father, uh, may these that believe on me be one as I am, that the world may know that you have sent me. And Jesus is now at work in your life instilling this vision of his growing kingdom, making you more and more like him. In other words, we need to ask ourselves a question. How do we move from this ancient text where David is uh, responding to God's vision into the contemporary world in a way that's consistent with the teaching of this passage. Well, be like David to the extent that he was like Christ by upping your prayer life. Keep this vision in your mind and regularly Pray it as you move through your week when you're dealing with the sorrow of death or the distress of disease or guilt and shame or disappointment or fears about your future or relational struggles. Pray, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in me and in my world and in the whole world. 
Martin Rinkert. Did you ever hear of him? Anybody ever heard of Martin Rinkert? Well, let me tell you about him. He lived in the 1600s in uh, Germany, and he was a Lutheran pastor. He lived in Martin Luther's hometown, Eisenberg. And um, he lived during the Thirty Years' War. Now, this town in which he lived was really like a fortress. So there were lots of people and walls around it. And so uh, during the Thirty Years' War, there were many refugees who came to live in the town. And it wasn't long before disease and the plague overwhelmed the community. Initially, as he began his ministry, there were four pastors, the superintendent of the four. As things became more and more difficult, uh, abandoned ship and left town, leaving three. Two of those died as a result of the plague. And things were so bad in that town that uh, Martin was left to perform as many as 50 funerals a day. All told, during his ministry uh, in that place, there were some 8,000 funerals at which he officiated. He knew something about life's difficulties. One of those funerals was that of his own wife. How did he respond? He responded in light of the vision that God has given his church. Uh, we sing one of his songs. He was... Uh, musician as well as a pastor and um, this is one of the songs that he wrote now thank we all our God do you know it yeah. now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God the Father now be given the Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. The Lord's given you a great vision. Shape your life by that, not by smaller dreams. Shape your life by that, by praying. Pray like David. Pray like Jesus. Here's God's word to you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, bless your word to us, we pray. Thank you for it. Thank you for Martin. Thank you for other saints who have endured difficulties 
Thank you that your kingdom is coming. It's already come to us, and it is coming. Help us to live in the light and the joy of that. May that vision shape our decisions in this next week. Help us to be more faithful prayers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.